Thank you for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. We hope you like this message and that it has an impact on your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe for more. You ready for the word? Awesome. How many of you are enjoying the reading plan? If you, if you haven't joined us, the new month's reading plans for September are out at the Welcome Center. Make sure you grab one of those if you want a paper copy. If you want the digital copy, guess where that's at? On the app. If you haven't picked up yet, the app is something that you should probably think about downloading because everything you need is right there. And so if you want the digital copy, download the app. If you want a paper copy, they are out at the Welcome Center. But this week in our reading plan, we finished Jeremiah. We, we got into Lamentations. We've begun the book of Ezekiel. And it's this time in history where it's, 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 it's dark time. Uh, they, they have rebelled against God for hundreds of years. God has tried to correct them and correct them many times. He has. And He's come now through the prophets and he said, listen, if you don't change the way that you're living, if you don't change your ways, then then I'm going to send Babylon and they're going to to take you back to live in exile. And rather than allowing that to, to soften their hearts and bring them to a place of repentance, they've only hardened them further. So Babylon has come, King Nebuchadnezzar has come and and taken a group of people from Judah back to live in exile, not just one time, but three times Nebuchadnezzar comes and he conquers Jerusalem. The final time he leaves it in in ruin, destroys the temple, destroys the palace, destroys the the protection of the city walls. And this week in our reading, we, we read through the book of Lamentations and was joking with somebody uh, this morning that it's appropriate because the Husker football season started this week as well. And there's a lot of people lamenting <laughs> last night. And, uh, and as we read through Lamentations, Lamentations is a book that, that often gets overlooked, but I feel like is very important for us today to, to understand what it means to lament and how to lament. See, to lament means to express sorrow or to mourn. And this was a season and this was a time where in the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, there was definitely reason to mourn. There was reason to to grieve. There was reason for for sorrow. But in the midst of the, the sorrow, the perspective and the focus is still placed on God. Oftentimes when we go through hard times and hard seasons, it's easy for us to get so consumed with what's going on around us that we fail to see what God is wanting to do in us and through us. And the moment we take our eyes off of God and place it onto our circumstances, we begin this downward spiral. And as we see in Lamentations, these laments that are given, we, we can lament today and yet still remain courageous. We can lament and not allow ourselves to be discouraged. I want to talk today about how to deal with disappointment. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah chapter 29 and how that verse 11 we said is one of the most popular life verses that people will will write on their on their Bible, they'll, they'll highlight it, they'll underline it, they'll put it in their social media bio. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, they're good plans. Not plans of disaster, but plans to give you hope in a future and an expected end. And yes, it's a great verse, but even, even greater when we understand the context of who he's saying it to, when he's saying it, and what that promise really means. 
is that even though you go through hard times, there is a hope that you can hold on to. And, and I understand walking out of that service last week that you, you might have left and thought, sure, Pastor John, that's easier said than done. And I fully recognize that. I had somebody in my office this week and was having a conversation with a young man who's going through a hard time and, and just trying to encourage him. And he smiled at one point and looked at me and says, it's easier said than done. I said, absolutely. I said, I recognize that sitting on this side of the table that I can, I can share experience and I can share wisdom and I can share encouragement, but it's up to you to take it and put it into practice. And so, so last week there was this hope that in the, in the midst of the 70 year exile, God says, but I know the plans that I have. You're going to be here for a while. You're going to go through hard times. And we looked at that last week. Today, I want to give you, I want to give you more, more practical principles that you can take with you and apply to your life. Does that sound good? How do I do that? What does it look like? I don't understand. I'm going to give you four things today that you can walk out of here with. If you're going through a hard time right now, if you're, if you're entering into a hard season, wherever you find yourself, write these down because when you face storms in life, these are four things that you can do. Lamentations is a, a short book, five, five short chapters, and it's an interesting book. Credit is, is given to Jeremiah as the author. Now, whether he wrote these poems or he simply assembled them and grouped them together, we don't really know, but there's five chapters and each chapter is a separate work of poetry. Chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 4 all have 22 verses. In fact, chapter 5 has 22 verses as well. But chapters 1, 2, and 4 are in alphabetic acrostic, which means there are, there are 22 verses in each of those chapters. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And verse 1 begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Verse 2 begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, so on and so on, 22 times until they get through the alphabet. That's chapters 1, 2, and 4. Chapter 5 also has 22 verses, but it doesn't follow any acrostic. Chapter 3 is unique because it's the only chapter that doesn't have 22 verses. It has 66 verses. And what chapter 3 does is it gives us an alphabetic acrostic, but it repeats it three times. So verses 1, 2, and 3 all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Four, five, and six, I had to do the math. Four, five, and six begin with the second letter all the way through till verse 66. Three times over, it's repeated. And so, so it's, an, it's an interesting book. It's, it's a, a book of poetry. It's arranged as poems. It's communicated as poetry. And as we read through it, it's, it's like I said, this dark time in Israel's history. Jerusalem has been conquered. The army has laid siege. They've taken relatives, friends, family members back to live. The, the, they've, they've ran out of food. They've ran out of resources. During this time, some of the parents about says that they even had to resort to cannibalism because there was nothing to eat. They were on the street. They were begging. In chapter one, we, we read the, the mourning of Jerusalem and it, it mourns how that Jerusalem was once this great city, but now lies in ruins. It says things like, once great among the nations, she now sits alone like a widow. It personifies Jerusalem as this, this widow. Chapter two talks about the destruction of the city and the result of their sin. Chapter four gives us a picture of what people are going through. It says the people who once ate the richest food now beg in the streets for anything that they can get. And it ends in chapter five with a prayer to God that God would come and restore Jerusalem. And it's right in the middle of this, 
this book of lament, in this book of sorrow, in this book of mourning, and look at the things that are happening around us. Jerusalem is in ruins. There's people begging in the streets. We have nothing because of how rebellious we were. And now God is simply, simply judging us for our sin. But God, will you one day come and restore the, the, the city of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah, the nation of Israel? God, would you do what, what only you can do? And right in the middle of this book is chapter three. Chapter three is unique, not just because it's three times longer than the other chapters, but it's unique because right in the middle of, of the mayhem and the chaos is this poem in this, this writing that, that speaks of a hope that can be found. In an otherwise hopeless situation, Lamentations chapter three gives us a picture of hope, and it's not a picture of hope because anything around them is changing. It's not a picture of hope because things are starting to look up. It's not a picture of hope because, you know, a new king has come into power and he's promised that he's going to do this or he's going to do that. No, it's, it's hope not in circumstances, but it's a hope in who God is. Lamentations chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time today. I want to begin reading in verse number 16. And we're, going to, we're going to read through verse 24. But... The imagery that is used here, read along with me, verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be on the screens for you. It says that he has made me chew on gravel. Who is he? He is God. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything that I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Are you starting to get a picture of the situation, the conditions that these people are living in? I will never forget, verse 20, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope. Even when all seems hopeless, I still dare to hope. How? How can you hope? When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, I thank you that your word is is relevant and applicable to us, not just in theory, but in practice as well. Lord, last week we looked at the promise that, that you gave, the promise that you have plans and future for each and every one of us in spite of the, the hard times that we go through in life. And today, Lord, as we seek to your word, I pray that, that you would give us practical, practical tips that we can take and apply to not just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of your word as well. Lord, for those that are going through a hard season, for those that are, are in a, a trying time, for those that look around and all seems lost and all seems hopeless, that would, would, would be able to, to understand what the writer of Lamentations is talking about, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them today. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them today. God, I pray that you would encourage them today by your word and through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Lamentations chapter three, I believe is one of the most significant passages 
in all of scripture when it, when it comes to God's faithfulness. As it pertains to the faithfulness of God, I think Lamentations 3 is probably the most powerful and, and not necessarily because of the words that are used, but because of the context in which they're used. I mean, when you understand the writer of Lamentations is literally sitting on a heap of rubble, Nebuchadnezzar has come and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. He's taken friends and family back to live as slaves in captivity, to live a harsh life. Everything has been broken down. What once was this glorious place that, that reflected not just the glory of a nation, but the glory of the God of this nation. Solomon, the greatest king that ever lived, the wisest king that ever lived, the, the wealthiest man that ever lived. The splendor of this kingdom, which once was so great, has now been left in ruin. And he's sitting on a pile of ashes and a heap of rubble. And he declares, great is your faithfulness. How, how is that possible? Because I haven't gone through anything that devastating in my life. Now understand, we all go through stuff and, and my stuff is not your stuff and your storm is not my storm and I can't, I can't transpose my storm onto yours. But we've all had hard seasons, but this, the, the, the depths of the despair that they find themselves in and yet to be able to say, great is your faithfulness. Significant and this week, as we, as we spend this time together, how do I, how do I deal with discouragement? How can, I, how can I keep my eyes? How can I keep my focus? How can I keep moving forward in the season that I'm in? Pastor John, you don't understand what I've gone through. You don't understand where I'm at. You don't know the tears that I've cried. You don't know the pain that I've felt. You don't know what people have done to me. You, you don't understand. You're right. I don't. But God does. God sees, God knows, God is there, and God's promise to you is the same. I know the plans that I have for you. Romans says that God can work all things together for your good and his glory. Reminds me of, of Joseph after his brothers sold him into slavery, and he's, he, he's made to work for Potiphar, and then he's wrongfully accused and thrown into prison only for God to bring him out of the prison, place him in the palace, and now his brothers come back to him begging for food. They find out it's Joseph, and they're like, shoot, now he's going to kill us. And his response to his brothers is, you meant evil, you meant to harm me, but God meant it for good. God was able to take that hard season of my life and use it to bring about Goodness in my life and glory for him. How do, we, how do we understand that? How do we walk in that? What are these tips? What must I do? The first thing that you have to do if you're going through a hard season, if you're feeling discouraged, my first challenge to you is to remember God's promises. Remember what he said. Remember who he is. There are over 8,000 promises in God's word. Do you know how many he's broken? Zero. Over 7,500 of these promises are promises to humanity or to humankind. Do you know how many of those promises God has broken? None. 
So what makes you think that you're going to be the one person that God is going to turn his back on? It's not going to happen. Remember his promise. Verse 22, he says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Remember who he is. Remember what he said. Remember what he's done. In the midst of great grief, there is a great God for you to find. You don't know how hard it is. You're right. But I know how great God is. He's faithful. He's faithful. The best thing that you can do if you find yourself sitting on a heap of ashes in your life is to sit around and talk about God's goodness. It doesn't feel like it's good. You're right. It doesn't, but that's why journaling is so important. Go back and remember all the times that God saw you through. Go back and recount all the times that God made a way where you didn't think that there was a way. Be encouraged in the lives of other people and what God has done in them and through them. Remember God's promises. God's promises is to lead you through this, that this isn't the end of your story. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the promise there that I'm walking through? Notice that, that it doesn't say, yea, though thy airlift me out of the valley of the shadow. We wish God worked like search and rescue. Like, God, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death and it's dark and it's scary and I feel like I'm all by myself. Can you just send the the helicopter and lift me out of this place and take me from one mountain to another mountain? God, would you airlift me out? And God says, no, I, I can't do that, but I'll lead you through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. The promise is not that you won't go through stuff, but the promise is that you won't have to go through stuff alone. The promise is is not that you won't find yourself in the storm, but the promise is that the storm won't last forever. The promise is not that there won't be times in your life where your heart is completely broken, but the promise is he is the one who came to heal the brokenhearted. The promise is to to remember God's character, to remember who he is, to remember what he's done. Go back and read the book of Job. Job, one of the men, men who suffered the greatest, he said, man was born to trouble as surely as the sparks raised to the heavens. Like there is going to be trouble in life and yet he still remains faithful to God. I love God's faithfulness. Second thing that we have to do if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through a hard season, how do I deal with, with discouragement? Number one, you need to remember God's promise. But number two, you need to develop a daily habit. Develop a daily habit. Find daily disciplines that, that you can constantly Go back to verse 23. Look at, look at what he says. Go and put that verse up. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Each morning there is mercy to be found. Each morning there is grace to be found. What do you begin your day with? And that's my question to you. What do you begin your day with? Especially if you're going through a hard season. If you're going through a hard time, it's very easy to wake up and have that be the first thing on your mind. 
I got to do this today. I wonder how this is going to happen today. I wonder, I wonder what else is going to hit the fan today. I wonder what else is going to go wrong today. When you're going through a hard time, it's very easy to wake up. And that is your focus from the moment your feet hit the floor. But here the writer of Lamentations says, your mercies are new every morning. They're fresh every day. Are you beginning your day with his mercies? Are you beginning your day putting your thoughts on him? Are you beginning your day remembering God's promises? Are you, re, are, are you, are you starting your day in these ways? Or do you start your day focused on circumstances and situations and problems and struggles and debts and payments and all of these other things? Or do you wake up in the morning and say, God, you're so good. God, I need your mercies today. God, I need your grace today. God, before my feet even touch the floor, I need to, I need to know that you're with me today. God, I need to feel your presence today. So few of us begin our day like that, and then we wonder why halfway through the day we're exhausted and we're drained and we just can't deal with another person. If one more person, one more person says something to me, if one more person looks at me wrong, if one more, if one, if I have to, what? We get halfway through our day. Why? Because we're running on empty rather than daily coming to the fountain of living water to be filled and to be renewed and to be made fresh and to encounter his grace and to receive of his mercies. How do you start your day? Reminds me of the children of Israel walking through the, the wilderness. Moses leads them out of the promised land and they, they get out there and they find that there's no food. They find that there's no water. And they start complaining and saying, God, just take us back. If we would have just stayed in Egypt, at least there, there were graves that we could have been put in. Here, we have to dig our own graves. At least there, there were onions that we can eat. And for those of you that don't like onions, it's like, ugh. At least there, we had... We had, we had stew and we had meat and we had out here, there's literally nothing. So what does God do? He comes and he says, all right, you want meat? Tonight, I'll give you meat. In the morning, I'm going to give you bread. And every day he came and he, he gave the manna, right? Verse 12, let's look at it. He received, Exodus 16, excuse me. He says, I've, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening, you'll have meat to eat. In the morning, you'll have all the bread that you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. In the morning, you'll have all the bread that you want. It was interesting the way that this arrangement worked, right? He told them every morning you go out and you gather what you need for the day. And you take it and you cook and you prepare it. And it was, it was the perfect amount for everybody living in their house. And he told them, but if you, if you try and keep some for tomorrow, it's going to go bad. Of course, there were those that didn't listen. And they tried to keep some of the manna for the next morning. And when they woke up the next morning, it was moldy and it was full of maggots. And they're like, what is going on? And God's like, what did I tell you? It's got an expiration date. And it's 24 hours. But here's the thing. If you trust me, then you'll know that tomorrow when you step out of your tent, what's going to be on the ground? Your supply for the day. And the next day when you get up, what's going to be on the ground? Your supply for the day. Jesus said, pray this way. Give us today our daily bread, not weekly bread. Some of you come into church and you want God to give you weekly bread. Lord, give me my bread for the week. This isn't, a, this isn't like a, don't work like a grocery store. 
Can't just buy a loaf of bread and expect that to get you through the week. But every day, we need those daily disciplines that when we wake up, our minds are set on him. Our focus is put on him. God, God, let me, let me walk in your grace. Let me experience your mercy today. Before your feet hit the floor, listen, and it's so important if you're going through a hard season and if you're going through a hard time because everything else is trying to take your attention and if you're not careful, it's very easy to give it to those things and you miss out on the mercy that God wants to give you for today. How do I make it through? You make it through by the grace of God, but you have to encounter that and experience that each and every day. So number one, we have to remember God's promises. Write them down. So many times in the Old Testament, God says, write it on your heart. Write it down so that daily you can remember those things that God has promised. Start with with daily disciplines. Develop this daily routine of coming to him and coming into his presence and, and crying out for his mercies and walking in his grace. The third thing that we have to do to deal with discouragement is we have to change our perspective. Change your perspective. Verse 24 of Lamentations chapter three. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The city is in my inheritance. Jerusalem is in my inheritance. The temple is in my inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. So it doesn't matter what happens to the stuff around me. As long as the Lord is my inheritance, then I can hope in him. What are you focused on in your life? What are the things that you give your attention to? What are the things that you find yourself meditating on? What do you find are the things that dominate your thoughts every day? Are they thoughts of his promises, thoughts of his word, thoughts of his goodness, thoughts of his faithfulness? Or are they thoughts of all the things going wrong around you? Change your perspective. Sitting on a pile of rubble, yet he was able to say, the Lord is my inheritance and I'm filled with hope. (laughs) Hope in what? Obviously not hope in the stuff, obviously not hope in things, not hope in men, but hope in God. Great is your faithfulness and you are my inheritance and I will hope in you. The reason he's able to say these things, the reason he's able to in this moment and in this context, say, God, great is your faithfulness. It would be very easy to look at the destruction of Jerusalem and say, God, you failed us. God, you were supposed to protect us. God, you said. God, you planted us here. God, you brought us to this land. God, you said we were your people. And yet, this foreign army is coming and taking everything away from us. God, you let us down. It would be very easy to have that mindset, that thought process, but, but he sits there and he doesn't blame God, but he says, God, great is your faithfulness. How is he able to do that? Because he's not looking at the external. He's not looking at the circumstances. His focus is on who his God is. When your focus is on God, you can say things like, great is your faithfulness He's not writing and he's not speaking based on what he sees and he's not writing and based on what he hears, but he's writing based on who he knows God to be because that's where his focus is. Understand that 
that the writer, if, if, if Jeremiah is truly the one who has written this, then we have to, to understand his, his intimacy with God. He was, he was the prophet. He was the one who God came and revealed his heart to, to then reveal God's heart to the people. So Jeremiah had an intimate understanding of the heart of God. And so when he writes, great is your faithfulness, he's able to look at God's heart and look at his circumstances and say, regardless of the circumstances, God, your heart, your character, who you are is greater than anything that I'm ever going to go through. Because that's who you are. God, you promised that it was only going to be for 70 years and then you would restore. So if we have to walk through this for a season, God, that doesn't take away from your greatness or your faithfulness. God, that doesn't cause me to lose hope, but instead, God, it causes hope to stir up within me, looking forward to the day when. What are you focused on? It's so easy to have a flawed perspective. You see things, and when you, when you look at them, you think it's one way, but it's really not, and you're, you've got it all backwards. I have a couple of pictures that I want to I show. The first one is, is Prince William. And I think I used this a few years ago, but I have this picture of Prince William. That doesn't seem very nice. You look at that and it's like, uh, you're supposed to be royalty, this, this manners and you know, distinguished, and, and you're supposed to be above that. Like, what are, what are you doing? But then when you understand, it's the exact same picture, simply from a different perspective. Go back to the first one. From one perspective, we would look at him and say, how could you? How dare you? Who do you think you are? And then from a different perspective, it's like, my bad. <laughs> I have a, another picture. In, in, in this picture, I want to tell you, the, the trees are real. The stone is real. The soil is real. But your brain right now is telling you, that's not right. That's messed up. There's no way. This is Photoshopped. That's, that's, that's not possible. But then when you understand that if you would just flip the picture upside down, it's just a rock sitting in a pool. And what you thought were trees were simply reflections of trees. And what you thought was soil was simply a reflection of soil. See, when we go through hard times, it's very easy for us to look at things and think we know what we're seeing. But then once we get some perspective, whether through time, context, or through God's word, it's like, oh, so that's what it was. <laughs> oh, so everyone wasn't just out to get me. Oh, so God, you weren't just trying to suck the fun out of my life. Oh, so that person that I thought was this terrible human being really didn't mean it that way and that wasn't their intention and that wasn't their heart. Oh, all of this, this pain that I've experienced and the, the things that I've been going through, when we, when we look at that, we can have such a distorted perspective and image of it. And, and the problem is when we, when we take that distorted perspective and we take it and we put it inside of our heart, and then we allow ourselves to make decisions based on the distorted perspective that we have, we find out that it was, it was incorrect all along and now we have to look at this trail of bad decisions because we just didn't get perspective to begin with. 
I'm not saying things aren't hard. I'm not saying things aren't painful. I'm not saying there isn't real heartbreak. I'm not, I'm not saying you're not going to go through stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't feel like chaos is running rampant in your life. I'm not saying that you don't feel like you're in the middle of an Allstate commercial with the mayhem guy. And you just want to be protected from mayhem. You guys know those commercials, right? Like, I'm your blind spot. <laughs> My favorite one is, I'm a 16-year-old girl. And Jeremy just broke up with me. And now I'm an emotional mess. And then like crashes into a parked car. Sorry to any 16-year-old girls. I'm not saying you're not going to go through stuff. But I am saying that when you do go through stuff, it's very important to, to remember God's promises, to daily go to the well to find those mercies that are fresh every day, and as you do that, pray and say, God, give me the correct perspective. Rather than focusing on what's going on around you, allow me to focus my heart on you so that when I have to make decisions in this season and through this process, I make them on the truth of what I know to be true, not what I see or what I hear going on around me. Change your perspective. And then the final thing, the, the fourth thing that we need to, to learn and to do is to, to learn to be content in the waiting. This is possibly the hardest one for us today to learn to be content in the waiting. It's, it's not easy. No one likes to wait. No one, no one likes to... We don't want to wait. Parents, we tell our kids all the time, not right now. Not right now. Okay, when? I don't know, but not right now. <laughs> not right now. My kids know that not right now means never. <laughs> so it's never going to happen then. No, it's not, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying not right now. Can you be content in the waiting process? And so many of us, the answer is no. We can't be content. Lamentations chapter three, he says, look at what I'm going through, all this, all this stuff. He makes me chew gravel and I'm rolling around in the dust and the prosperity that I once had is now all gone, but great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. And he gets to the point where, where in verse 25, he says, the Lord is good to those who depend on him. Other translations say those who wait on him. To those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It's good to wait. It's okay to wait. Nobody likes to be in that holding pattern. Nobody likes to, to feel like you're you're just been waiting forever. No one likes to get on a plane and then wonder why it's not pushing back from the gate, only to have the captain come on and say, We've got some some, you know technical malfunctions, and so somebody's going to come and look at it. We're going to stay at the gate for another 45 minutes. What? Let's go. Get in the air. Like, who cares if the landing gear is not working properly? Let's just fly. Who cares if the plane's overweight and there's a chance we're going to come falling out of the sky? Let's go. At least we'll be moving somewhere. We don't like to wait. We hate waiting. And yet when we read through God's words, so many times we are told and we are shown that there's a season of wait. And if you're not content in the waiting, you're going to drive yourself crazy. 
Maybe slowly, maybe quickly, but eventually it'll happen. You look at the promise God gave to, to David, anointed him as king. And the years that he had to wait until he walked in the fulfillment of that promise. You look at Joseph, who was given this dream, the stars bowing, his, his brothers bowing, and yet it was, it was years before he could walk in the fullness. And I'm not just talking like two or three years, I'm talking 21 years, the season of waiting. God promising Israel, I'm going to take you into the land of milk and honey. Forty years they walked through the desert. God coming to, to Israel saying, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back from Babylon. Seventy years they waited in Babylon. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send one for me who's going to reign, who's going to rule in righteousness for all of eternity. Four hundred years of silence before Jesus was born. Jesus ascending into heaven saying, stay here. Holy Spirit's going to come. You're going to be my witnesses, but one day I'm going to come back. 2,000 years we've been waiting. It's in that patient waiting that God takes us from who we are to, and turns us and molds us into who he wants us to be. And if we are so fixated with, with this immediacy of I want it and I want it now, like the little girl on Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, I want it now, Daddy. You watch that, you're like, shut up, little brat. Right? Like, how many of y'all thought, thought that? You, you, like, what a brat. Who does she think she is? She wants it, she wants it now. I'm sorry, little girl. That's not the way the world works. And we tell her that, but then when we find ourselves in a hard season, it's like, God, God, I want you to do it now. God, do it now. And God's like, no, that's not, that's not the way that it works. It's good to wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. Because it's in that patient endurance that our character is formed. And it's as our character is formed that we are led to this place of hope. And it's as we're led to this place of hope and we find hope for ourselves that we can be, be, be bringers of hope to those that are around us. And we can reflect his heart and we can reflect his character. And we can encourage people around us who need to know that it's not the end of their story. The same way it's not the end of our story, your story isn't done being written and it won't be done being written until he's had the final say and he won't have the final say until one day you stand before him and he says welcome into the joy of the Lord well done good and faithful servant I know it's hard I know it's difficult I know it's challenging and I know it's stressful and I know you're losing sleep at night and I know you're crying and sometimes you're crying alone and I know you feel like nobody can understand and nobody can empathize and nobody knows the depths of your despair. I know what, I, I know what you're saying and I know what you're feeling and I've been there, maybe not to the extent and maybe not with the same thing, but listen, here's also what I know is that God is faithful. Know that God's mercies are new every day. Know that God is greater than any circumstance that we might find ourselves in. And if we would just simply change our focus, say, God, help me not to respond based on what I see. Even as Jeremiah didn't respond based upon the rubble and based upon the ruin and based upon the, the despair, but he responded based on your goodness. 
He responded based on your character. And so, Lord, help me to live the same way. And God, as I wait patiently on you, I give you permission to do whatever you want to do in me, to mold me in any way that you want to mold me. See, to wait patiently means to say, God, I know you're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. I know the answer is on the way. I know, but I give you permission to do it in your timeline. That's what it means to wait patiently. So Jeremiah says, God, I know you're going to restore Israel. And God, I'm okay with you doing it in your time. God, I know you're going to bring the answer. And today I'm declaring I'm okay. Surrendering and submitting myself to your time and allowing you to do it however you want to do it. Today, if you come into this place and you're discouraged and your heart is broken and you're hurting, you're crying out, God, do you even see me? Know that he sees you. Know that he loves you. Know that he's faithful to every promise that he's made you. And today as you leave this place, remember God's promises. Develop those daily disciplines. Come find mercies that are new for today. Tomorrow, look for mercies that you need for tomorrow. Be okay, be content in the waiting and shift your focus to him. Stand with me this morning. I wanna pray with you, I wanna pray for you. Then I'm gonna invite the, the prayer team at the end of the service. The prayer team's gonna be down here. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're hurting and you just want somebody to pray with you, pray for you, to encourage you, they're gonna be down here. I would encourage you, just, just come on down, find somebody that you can pray with. Lord, we thank you for your word. Yeah, we thank you for your faithfulness. Even in the midst of, of chaos and confusion, even in the midst of, of despair, even in the midst of seasons that, that are seemingly hopeless, there is hope to be found in you. Yes, it's easier said than done, and it's, it's easier to talk about the hope. It's harder to find that hope sometimes. Lord, I thank you for the, the encouragement of your word and the, the strategy of your word that we can take and apply to our lives. Lord, for those of us that need to find hope in a hard season, I pray that you would help us to remember your promises. Lord, whatever we need to do to remember them, if we need to go home and write them down, if we need to write them on our bathroom mirror, if we need to, to put them in our car, whatever the case may be, that, that every day we would remember your promise because you are faithful. Lord, that we would start every day off with new mercies, new grace. Lord, we thank you that you are the, the, the living water, a fountain that does not run dry. God, when we search for you, we will find you. Lord, I pray that for those of us that need a, 
a change in focus and a change in perspective. We've been making, dis- making decisions on, on faulty assumptions, on faulty perspective. Lord, may we not respond based on what we see and what we hear, but may we respond based on the truth of your word. And God, for those that are in a holding pattern in their lives, as they daily are being renewed by you, Lord, help us to be able to say, God, I know you're sending the answer and I give you permission to do it in your time. That we would be those who wait patiently on the Lord, being refined into your image. Lord, we thank you today. Be with us this week. Encourage those who need encouragement. Strengthen those who need strength. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Uh, Prayer team, if you would come down here, if you need prayer, if you want prayer, we'd love to be able to minister to you in that way. If not, feel free to be dismissed. Love you guys. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.